Let's go ahead and start with prayer. <coughs> I guess we'll face the picture of the... O <laughs> 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 heavenly King, the comfort of the spirit of truth, who art ever present and fillest all things, treasure your blessings and giver of life, come and abide in us and cleanse us from every impurity and save our souls, O good one. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. So it was brought to my attention uh, that I gave kind of uh, at the end a little thing about hell. Uh, <laughs> and then people are like, huh? So what I can do, I don't want to take too much time from this class, is maybe come back and hit it at another. I'm sure that we'll come back again or we'll even do some like discussion of it in general. Um, but what if, if anyone wants to a little bit more detail about it, if you'll email me, I can send you a podcast from Father Thomas Hotko, which is about 45 minutes of him uh, more explaining the, the idea. Uh, so basically, I'll give a little short. Uh, Hades is typically, we kind of run Hades, Gehenna, uh, all together, like they're all the same thing, right? Uh, part of our challenge is English because English and German and all these other languages that picked up all these things and you get like Dante and then you get like Milton. We got a lot of ideas floating around uh, uh, about the afterlife or what that means. Uh, and generally the idea of Hades, so this gets challenging because in our liturgy and hymnody we'll say Hades and hell kind of interchangeably, but that's... Uh, not great uh, translation. Uh, basically, Hades wa was like a, a holding place uh, where those who had died were. Christ comes, frees them. He basically says, the doors are open for you to get out of here, right? Uh, this is the icon of him har harrowing Hades and pulling Adam and Eve out of the tombs, right? Out of the, the darkness. Uh, if you read the Psalms, like Hades is the place where you can't glor give glory to God, uh, that you're kind of <laughs> speechless, that you don't have fullness. Uh, and so there is, uh, in once he has harrowed Hades, uh, there is then, uh, we're still not to the general resurrection, right? Which is when we'll be reunited with our bodies, resurrected bodies, and there is then the judgment of where the end is, right? Uh, heaven and hell are not places like they have a GPS that you can do coordinates like I want to go to the gates of hell and I want to go to the gates of Hades and travel those places but they are more of the experience of uh, the presence of God uh, if we love him if we have been purified with that loving fire we're going to enjoy him right we're going to love him we want him if we have there in Mm, our trajectory in our life has been a continual movement away from him to our own self, we're going to experience that fire of his love in a different way. Uh, I'm not talking about physical fire. Uh, I, I, you know, I've heard folks talk about like, oh, Christians, they have this awful idea of hell. Has anyone read some of the other hells that exist in other religions? Like the Buddhist or like the Book of the Dead or like Tibetan stuff? We're tame. I'm just going to tell it. Like, uh, in the Christian imagination, even broadly, I'm not even talking about orthodoxy, I'm just talking about in general. So, uh, the idea of hell is uh, Gehenna was like a f place of fire, right? That's where you burn the trash uh, outside of Jerusalem, is what Gehenna was referring to. So, Hades was a, a holding place, basically. The doors were opened. Uh, you can move towards God, like the righteous, the Old Testament, and even the preaching of the gospel to those who would never, if you've ever wondered this, what about all those who never heard the gospel? They get a chance to hear the gospel and respond to it. Uh, if you want to delve deeper into the topic, because I could go for another 10 or 15 minutes trying to tease this out, uh, email me and I'll send you a podcast and I can, start, I can send you a few chapters from different uh, textbooks. Uh, there's even a book, uh, Metropolitan Larry and Alfeo has a whole book dedicated to this, which is kind of teasing out uh, what uh, basically Thomas Aquinas is who he's dealing with a lot. Uh, the ideas in medieval Latin church are different than uh, the Greek church. Okay? Yes? 
Um, is Gehenna associated with the Lake of Fire? In yes, okay. second death. Yep. Okay. Any other hellish questions? Put <laughs> 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 me on the fire line. Yes. Does does um dead people have memories? Yes. Do you remember? Oh, they're yeah. You are you. You are you. The challenge is when we're dead is that we don't have the fullness of our body. So part of the reality of uh, experiencing uh, heaven or hell or even like uh, the foretaste of that is that if you are a really passionate person, and I don't mean like you're really into things, I mean like you're really into bad things. (laughs) Uh, The passions, like anger, lust, like all, you know, the sins. How do you commit those things? What do you get used to that in? Right? So when you die, do you think the desire goes away? The fixes that you need? They don't go away. You just don't have a body anymore to complete them. So part of the hellish aspect of if you are purifying yourself, you are uh, purifying your desire. Uh, But if you're not, you're going to experience uh, the desire for sex and you have no outlet because you have not learned how to move that desire ultimately towards God. I don't mean sexually <laughs> towards God, but the desire that is behind that, right? Well, we're talking about bodies and not bodies, so let me be very clear. <laughs> okay? Alright. Now... <laughs> okay, I don't know how I'm going to top that. <laughs> uh, Lynn, All take right. it away. All right. Sorry, i got to step out for just a minute. Yes. Well, first on you. Alright, so... Basically, I'm going to um, focus our talk today on icons, what they are, how we treat them in our worship, and how to look at them and what they can teach us. And I'm going to be drawing on people who are a lot smarter than me for a lot of the theological lessons. Um, so I want to just, you know, Paul talks a lot, not to boast, but I did this, that, and the other. But on the other hand, I hate looking at YouTube. You went to the videos. third heavens too, right? I, want, I, <laughs> I hate looking, or even even blogs and people says, "Okay, here's my blog," but they don't tell you anything about them or why they have the, why you should spend your time listening to them. So what I'd like to say is that um, I attended classes at a school called Hexamron. It's not in existence anymore, but um, for five. For five years, I mean, it was a week each year, and they were taught by some of the best iconographers in the country. Senya Pokrovsky was one of the best iconographers in Russia. She was actually thrown into prison. No, she was arrested four times for for draw for painting icons. And then the family escaped. You know, had said, "We've got to get out of here." Okay, so she was one of the teachers. So um, she was the teacher for the uh, for the painting. Then there was a teacher for embroidered icons. You would not believe how beautiful, you know, people have done embroidered huge icons. And then Jonathan Peugeot started teaching there, and I had already done some wood carving, so I was in Jonathan's carving classes for four years. So I was going to bring one of my icons, but I think the Lord just had me, you know, leave it at home. You, you just have to believe I could I could pull up the picture, but at any rate. And then I also had the privilege of going on three pilgrimages with an Orthodox priest, Father Ilya Gotlinski. First one was to Russia, the second one was to the Holy Land, and the third one was to Asia Minor, which I like to say we think of it as the boondocks, but it's really the bedrock of the growth of the faith. And so, I mean, in that pilgrimage, we went to monasteries. We had liturgies in the churches and so forth and so on. We met with monks and nuns, and we venerated St. Seraphim and Seraph, and we, you know, went to the Valam Monastery, and, you know. Anyway, so, I'm, so I have this background, so I hope you'll feel like you're getting some, some real stuff here, okay? Um, and my computer would not let me pull up the um, PowerPoint, you know, thing for the iPad, I mean, it wouldn't let me type, it wouldn't let me transfer pictures, so I just said, all right, I'm just going to use my phone and enter them here and hopefully get it in the right order. So here we go. Um, Here's the iconostasis of St. Anne, as you see, and Metropolitan Callistos Ware, wonderful YouTube, wonderful video that he did in, in 2012. 
the holy icons are a doorway into heaven. Um, the, the icons are a door. They're an entryway. An entry into what? Access to where? It's a greeting. It's an encounter. With whom? Okay, so these are some of the questions we're going to be answering about icons. So icons are a doorway into the kingdom of heaven. Now maybe a lot of you have heard you just pick up a book about orthodoxy and I even got some pamphlets about, you know, icons are a window to heaven and I think I shared with you, I, I, I always thought that that was just me standing here looking out into something that was way out there whereas I felt as if icons were more of a presence, somebody who is there with whom I communicate. And what do you know? Metropolitan wear bruises. <laughs> <laughs> so I was glad to see that. Okay, so anyway, we think about a doorway. If, if there's a doorway, the people who are out there can come to us and we can go there. So if we think about icons in that way. Um, so the doorway into the kingdom of heaven and access to the age to come and a meeting and a communion with the saints. So the, the icons make these persons and these events present to us. They may have lived a long time ago, they may have happened a long time ago, but through the icons they're made present with us. And if you think about it, we learn through the liturgy, through through the Word of God, through the Bible, and through the through the icons, through the gospel, through the icons. The word is proclaimed, and the word is depicted. So the word is proclaimed in the gospels, and even in the gospels. There are word pictures, and even in any sermon, a certain person who gives sermons going to have a word picture to kind of help you understand the concept. In an icon, the word is depicted. Does that make sense? So we use both elements in our worship. So let's just start out here um, in our iconostasis, and as you can see. <coughs> Is that is that clear? I can't tell because I'm low and the kind of. All right, so we have the the, do the doors with the curtain in the middle. Get that? They're called royal doors. On one side is the icon of Jesus Christ. On the other side is the icon of his mother, the Theotokos. And then there are saints on either side. And I would just like to say that different churches have different ways of organizing their constasis. So when you read in the book about who's where. It's going to, it might be different from ours, um, but this is, this is the way. I mean, we have five loaves for communion and other um, you know, groups have one loaf. It just, there are, there are different, there are variations, but we worship and honor the same God. There's a, these are the main archives over. So I wish I'd brought a pointer. The Lord Jesus Christ, on this side is our patron saint, Saint Anne. Over on the other side is his mother, the Theotokos, and then on her side is St. John the Baptist. And up above the royal doors, you can see a, a group of three. That's called the Deesis, and it's often there with Jesus Christ in the middle. And on either side of him, the first two people who recognized his divinity, the mother of God. And I had not really given much thought to the St. John. We call him St. John the Forerunner. Um, but, you know, having worked with icons and created an icon of him, you know, began to, to understand more about his role there, okay? And then um, on either side there are some panels with rounded tops. Those are called the deacon doors, and there are two saints on there. On one side we have St. Stephen, and on the other side St. Lawrence, and I like to tell the story. St. Stephen, as you, might, as you may know, was the first person who was martyred. He gave a wonderful sermon right after the Pentecost, and the Jews really didn't like it, so they stoned him, and Paul was there. He put his, you know. So that was St. Stephen. The other side, St. Lawrence, was a saint, I don't know, I just, it was a saint in Rome sometime in the early centuries, and was 
taken to be tortured, and his torture was to be thrown on a hot bed of coals to be burned to death. And there was a grate over there, so it would take longer. You know, nothing like, anyway. You know, so they put him on this grate over this big fire of coals, and he was there, and he said, hey, I'm done on this side, turn me over. <laughs> you know, he was willing to do it. Anyway, that's St. Lawrence. And then on the far sides, we have saints of North America, St. Tikhon on this side, who served here in the early part of the 1900s and then went back to Russia and was the patriarch of Russia. And on this side, St. Innocent, who was one of the first um, Russian Orthodox priests to come to North America, to Alaska. And then in the, in the row above, we have other saints on either side, um, saints that are chosen by our church, every church that will be different. And some churches have many more um, levels, and some have just one level. It's, there's a, a whole lot of variation. Um, I would just like to point out that all of the saints, sometimes you'll read descriptions of icons and they say, oh, they're very, they're very still, they're very stiff, they're very elongated, they show no expression, and so forth. And, and, and these, oh, I'm sorry, I almost became an art history professor. God prevented me from going down that path. But there is so much error that's being taught in the West about icons and no why nobody ever thought to ask an orthodox why they were that way i don't anyway i won't go on that now. but at any rate that if as you'll see look at the top row everybody is facing christ they're not just standing there stiff staring out you know into outer space they are all facing christ they're all you know worshiping christ so that's one thing to remember here's another little detail if you look at St. Peter, who is, uh, okay, so here's the deuses, then there's one of the angels, I can't remember which one, and then there's St. Peter, and then St. Paul is in a similar position on the other side. But they're not, the saints have individuality. I think when I look at Peter, his, his robe is kind of, kind of not centered, you know, one side's over, can you see that? One side's pulled aside, it's like, there's that impulsive Peter, you know, running to do this and that. And so there's just little ways in which the personalities, the characters of the, of the saints are shown. Okay, so um, that's the iconostasis. And another thing to think about is that you might say, oh, there's this big barrier between me and what's going on in the rest of the church. But Metropolitan Callisto says it's not a barrier, it's a bridge. There is something that needs to be holy and separated from everything else. And that's what's behind this screen. However, the doors open and the priest comes out and the priest brings us the body and blood of Christ. So it's not just a separation, it's a doorway, see, a bridge, a way to go back and forth. Those of, us, those of you who know the Old Testament, in the Hebrew tradition, in the main temple, there was one place to offer sacrifice for the people, one time a year, and one person went into that space to offer the sacrifice and they tied a rope around his foot because if he dropped dead nobody else could go in to get him out so they you know needed a way to pull him out I hope that that's what I've heard I don't know but Jesus has opened the way for us so now we have communion we have communication with the holy of holies our, ourselves so if I think that helps to think about it that as a bridge as well all right, so let's see, um, another, just another shot. Um, I don't know, just trying to get a better shot. Now I wanted to zero in on the, as I've also already mentioned, the deuses up there with um, St. John the Baptist and the Theotokos looking at Lord Jesus Christ. Um, where are my pictures? Okay, look, look. We'll continue with what's what's on. This is the uh, icon of the Annunciation. You see the angel Gabriel on one side coming to talk to the Theotokos. Now, a couple of things that I want to point out. Um, 
she's sitting down and kind of turned away from him. Again, if you see people, you read people say, oh, icons just stand like this. They have never seen the icon of a feast. Okay, she's sitting there. Actually, when we were in Israel, they said that the, the tradition is that the angel first came to her at the well and she was afraid and she ran home. <laughs> and then he came to her house <laughs> and said, hey, I need to talk to you. And so she's there. Now in iconography, do you see that little red um, scarf? That's a convention to show that something happened inside, okay? I don't know, for some reason. A lot of the way icons are painted was based on Roman wall and Greek wall painting at the time. So the, the buildings themselves are stylized that was just the, the painting custom of that time. Okay, and she's seated on a cushion. Um, what she has in her hand is a ball of red yarn because the tradition is that she learned how to spin the wool that was being used to weave the curtain that was put up in the temple. So she was the one who was weaving the curtain for the temple that then when Jesus gave up his spirit was torn from top to bottom. Isn't that a beautiful connection? Okay, but she is not just standing there and saying, let's go. I mean, she's, and there's even, I, if I had time, I'd pull up the icon that I saw in Russia, where she's actually sitting on a chair, kind of like this. <laughs> I don't know about this. This is a little, a little calmer version of that. But if you come to the hit, to the feast, you know, the vigil before the Annunciation, you'll hear some of the hymns, and the angel Gabriel is even saying, how can this be? What? What's going on here? I mean, these hymns of our church express so much fullness and contemplation of the entire thing. You know, here he is, the angel of the Lord coming, and he's saying, I don't know about this. But, um, but that, that's what one of the things that happens. And in addition, you'll see that this cushion that she's sitting on it's a little, it looks a little wonky, and maybe maybe some of you know, but, but in orthodoxy, they have a system of perspective in which items come toward, toward you. You know, in, the, in, our, in our world, if you look at a railroad track, you know, and how the two parts of the track seem to converge to a point, okay, that, that perspective that we use in the West, in, in iconography, the perspective is reversed so that items are farther away are large and as they come close, they get closer together. So I think of it as pulling us in to the picture. You see, it, it, you know, it's the, the, the vanishing point is way, way back there behind us, but there's so much more ahead of us in front of us. We'll see more about that in another couple of icons, okay? Um, any questions about and oh does anybody know when the uh, when the feast of the Annunciation is it is March 25th how does when is Christmas nine months later <laughs> nine months later yes <laughs> so I think that's interesting that they knew about that okay. all right so then I went to visit my friend anyway <laughs> and she, need, she needs some sort of a she's a she had a stroke, so I'm trying to help her figure out how to get her cell phone attached. Anyway. anyway, now, came back for Vespers, and I just thought, this is beautiful. Can you see the, the light shining on things? You've got to come to an you know, afternoon evening service. It's so beautiful sometimes with the light shining. And look at how it makes the blues and the greens in that lower decorative portion just shine so much. So I wanted to share that with you. Okay, now here's one of the most famous icons. We'll let everybody see this is the icon of Jesus Christ. was painted is in a monastery in, the, in Sinai, um, Mount St. Catherine's Monastery. And it was um, one of the oldest that we have left. And it's done in wax. It's very traditional old Roman technique. Um, I'll, I'll get into it a little bit later. Well, okay, this is a good time. Sometime in the 700s, 800s in um, Constantinople, one of the, there was something called the iconoclasm controversy. Okay, and one of the emperors decided that because the, 
the Muslims and the Persians were winning all the, the wars. I mean, Jerusalem and the whole area there in Israel was totally leveled in 612. I mean, just everything, just everybody killed, everybody leveled. We have no idea about the suffering that's gone on in that area. Anyway, this particular emperor said, well, they don't have icons and we do, so it must be the icon's fault. So he said, we've got to get rid of all the icons. It was a terrible time of battles and pulling down the icons and people trying to hide them in their houses and people gouging out the eyes and so forth and so on. So we don't have a lot of the early work that was done in iconography. But this particular monastery, way, way out in Egypt, was not part of that controversy. So we still have this icon. Now, one thing that I want you to, to notice is that, remember I talked about how the vanishing point <coughs> is behind us. Things get larger as we open out. And one of the things that, about icons, once I point it out, point it out to you, you'll recognize the, the back of the back of everybody who's portrayed in an icon is bigger than the front. I mean, it's not like trying to see 3D, but not like you're trying to actually see the back of somebody's head. But the back is bigger, so the the heads and of pe people shown in iconography are larger than you would see if it were in a photograph. And there's a spiritual reason behind that. It's because we're trying to show all that's back here as well as all that's here. I see some puzzled looks. Mm -hmm. Questions? Why? Why? Yeah, why? Like, why show what's back here up here? Oh, well, to show the fullness. Okay, but also... I mean, if, if things are getting bigger as you get farther away, then the things back here will look bigger. That's, that's as good as I can get. Okay. Sorry, okay. I mean, that's, that's one reason why ears, I mean, I've heard it said that, that icons are painted so that the ears are larger than the mouth because we're supposed to hear more than we speak. But also, if you follow that, then the ears would be a little bit uh, larger, larger than that. Um, so a um, couple other things. There's a halo around Jesus' head. All, anybody who's considered a saint has a halo to indicate that there is some light coming from them. You know, there's a spirit. There, there's lightness. There's the light of God coming out from their bodies. In the icons of Jesus, there will always be a cross. I don't think you can see it very well. There's a little, little cross coming out to the I really need a pointer, sides and one above. And that's how you can recognize that it's Jesus in an icon. And there are three letters minimum. They mean uh, three Greek letters that, that mean I am who I am. The, the, the same words that God spoke to Moses when he was present in the burning bush. This is God. Um, a lot. You can see there's a kind of a blue background. Maybe you can see a little bit. Most icons, there are some furniture or buildings down below, but most icons will have a light blue or a gold background to show, to symbolize the uncreated light, that they are in, in the uncreated light. Now, another another thing briefly, I don't know how I'm doing with time. Okay. Briefly about this is that on the one side, Jesus is holding the gospel, which is a symbol of the law. And on the other side, he has his hand up in blessing. And the, the priest's blessing is different from our blessings. The priest's blessing is like this. But he is blessing two sides to his, to his character and his nature. The one that is the lawgiver and the one who is the grace giver. Does that make sense? And also there are some people... I am not much in terms of portraiture and stuff. This is what I read. Uh, and that there, if you look at Jesus' face, the side that's on the side of the gospel has a more stern appearance to it. The eye is a little bit bigger. It's a little more defined. The eyebrow comes up a little more with a point, Okay, which people say has a more stern judgment, judging character to it. And on the other side, the eye is smaller. I think the, the general feeling on that side is more of gentleness. So here we have in this icon, you know, showing us more about the nature of Christ.
Okay. Any questions about that? Okay. All right. Now this is an, another icon of the Theotokos, and it's a weird one. I once gave a talk, you know, saying, why does this painting look so weird? And it does, and yet this is one of the most revered icons. In Russia, uh, this icon was carried around the walls of the city um, when they were being attacked. Oh, they were, they were being attacked by so many different people. The people, um, Asians, the, the, the Huns, and then the, the Mongols, and so forth and so on. The city was really in danger, and they brought this icon out, walked around the walls of the city, and the enemy went away. So she's really very highly revered in Russia. Um, the icon is in an art gallery, Tretyakov Gallery, but they actually built a church right next to the, to the art gallery, so she is actually in a church. And that's another thing, too, is that items in the museum are not necessarily icon are not necessarily holy icons a holy icon is an image that is in a worship space whether it's the church or your icon corner or something so that there's the use of the icons you know the, how they're used affects how they're doing now get, can you see what i'm talking about in terms of the head of the Theotokos, how it, now when you look at it, it looks kind of big, and that's not just because they didn't know how to paint, it's because it has a <laughs> theological significance, okay? Now there's some things about this icon, it's very old, you can see how the background has been chipped and so forth and so on. It has been repainted several times, they, they think, like the, the clothes on the infant Jesus have, have been repainted in there kind of, I mean, an art historian would say, well, look how, you know, they didn't know how to paint. They didn't know how to give any 3D modeling or anything like that. Look, just those little lines right there. We just take it as people who, who, who understand more theological stuff than we do. Um, but she is, usually the Theotokos is shown with Jesus in some way, whether she, he's, you know, snuggled up to her, whether she's holding him, you know, he's sitting on her arm and she's holding him out like this, proclaiming him, whether he's pictured in, you know, in a, in a little space in her womb and her arms are out in blessing. There are several different forms of the Theotokos. Um, I believe probably the only time she's shown without, well, I mean, in the icon of the Annunciation, she is there, right? I mean, he is there. You just can't see him yet. <laughs> But he's there in the, in the Annunciation. I think what's so meaningful about this is the expression on her face, the devotion, the love, the honor, and so forth and so on. Um, so another thing that I, I cannot find the reference for this. I've got to find it, but it makes perfect sense. Jesus' perspective, I mean, Jesus' body looks weird. Okay? He does not have the proportions of a baby. And I had several art teachers say, oh, those stupid, <laughs> you know, early painters, they didn't know how to look at things for sure. All the children that they painted were just really, well, they didn't just take their children down to the local painter and get pictures of them like we take our kids to, to art, you know, to whatever and get a school portrait. The only people, children who were portrayed were the Theotokos and John and Jesus. So we're talking, does that make sense? Anyway, there was one council or one meeting where they said, what are we gonna do? Jesus is fully God and fully man from the moment of his conception. When he's born, he's gonna be a little weak infant who's not capable of doing anything we don't want to show him being weak and ineffective because from the moment of his conception he was fully man and fully capable of doing everything. So what they decided was to give Jesus the proportions of an adult, although as small as an infant. Does that make sense? I mean, maybe this doesn't matter to you, but I look at things and I say, huh? <laughs> you know. So that helps to, me to understand. Can you see that sort of? So this is a very, very much beloved icon, and 
came from the city of Vladimir. That's what I was going to Okay, let's move on. I just love this picture. <laughs> this is, I think I showed it to you before. This is a church in Russia. Um, and they decided they wanted to put Jesus on the apse behind the altar. Often Jesus is pictured up way up high in the dome and so forth. And we even have one of the most famous books about the technique of icon painting. Uh, no, the Painter's Manual by the Disciples of Freud, sort of peach-colored book, that actually was circulated to show, okay, you put this icon here and this icon there, because there's such unanimity from Russia to Israel. The way the churches are laid out and the way the icons are placed on the walls is uniform within you know certain things. So it's just that is a miracle in itself. Um, so anyway, I just thought you might enjoy looking at this. This is all done with iconog with mosaics, and it was done in Russia after the fall of the Communist Party. All done by by donations, no government, no donations, and a lot of the work was done by volunteers. The iconographers said, okay, this color mosaic goes here, 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 here. And people would come in on their days off and put, put them in. And this was the first church where I ever saw that all the walls were totally covered with pictures from the Bible. It's, you know, I had just thought of icons as being just little paintings like this. But no, if a church is fully decorated, and we hope in our new, new uh, church to have a whole scheme of wall paintings showing seeds from the Bible as well. Okay. All right, so let's go on now and um, let's see. So I talked about um, the iconoclast, the iconoclastic controversy. They said that um, you had to tear down all icons. You couldn't have any icons. It was about 150 years, and it was actually two women. Each of the women was the mother of the emperor said, we've got to get icons back, and a big council, and they finally did, and if you look in your chapter, it has the statement, the statement of orthodoxy about how icons are important. Um, and then just a little side note that Frederico brings in, saying, look, it was two women who were really responsible for bringing back icons, and that there is a role for women, although only men can be ordained as priests because Jesus Christ was a man, and so the men hold that priestly office. Still, there's a role for women in the church. I guess I'm the visual aid. I don't know. <laughs> but at any rate, I just thought I, since she made that point in this chapter, I thought I would make that point. So encourage everybody to encourage the women to exercise their spiritual gifts. <laughs> okay. Any questions about the iconoclasm and the return of icons or anything like that? Okay. Well, this is a really good icon for us to... Oh, yes, go ahead, Steve. question going back to the uh, iconostasis. Um, is there a you want me to go back to that? Yeah, is there a significance uh, in the placement of the archangels? You mean who, who's there? That, that the positions that they hold up there, or is that just random? You got me. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, uh, the angels are always on either side of the dais, but I don't know which is which is on which side. <laughs> okay. And by the way, have you ever noticed about the angels? I learned this from the Russian embroidery iconographer. Can you see those little Oh, you can't see. Okay. Check the I check the icons. There's little thread-like things like ribbons that come up from behind. Some some people say that those are their listening devices. <laughs> I don't know, well, Father, if you feel well, like that. I, I think it's just a band on their head. Okay. <laughs> I, yes. I, I've been told before that it's a mark of a herald that, that oh. a herald who's bringing news could wear these because uh, in the Roman world there's a penalty of death to 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 stop uh, like a, a, a herald and delivering a message. Oh, okay. And, and so that's, that's they, they were bringing good news. Thank you. Thank you. That makes it sounds really good. Sounds great. Sounds good. Okay. Does that answer your question? Um, well, the question was, is there a significance to the placement of the archangels on the archaeostasis? Yes, there's a high... So the whole Orthodox world actually thinks very hierarchical in that there's a toxis, an order of things. So you're going to have God, his mother, his cousin, 
then you get the angels, then you get the apostles, then you get the hierarchs, then you get monastic saints. That is the order that you see going. That is also you at the uh, proskomedie, which is the service before the service where I'm preparing the lamb. When we're doing commemorations, you have the Theotokos. She has her own commemoration, and it's set. Uh, all right, we'll use the iconostasis. If you have, like, you'll have, just look at my hands. How about that? You have the lamb, and then on the discos, then you put right next to the lamb the Theotokos. And as you're putting it down, uh, she's arrayed in golden robes, all glorious quoting the psalm that she sit down right at the right hand of Jesus and then you have the nine ranks of saints that are also commemorated so you have kind of a hierarchy if you you probably haven't got to that point in the lit, hearing the litanies but it's always you'll notice it's always a taxonomy you always we're going to pray for for example the metropolitan and the bishop first before we ever pray for the president because there's a, a hierarchy of we're going to pray for spiritual leaders, then leaders, uh, uh, and then it just kind of goes from there. The reposed, then the living. It's always that order. Catechism's at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> so what what you get in there, the the space is hierarchically even. The 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 holy of holies is back there, right? And then this is the nave, and then the narthex is another space. It's a hierarchy that you're moving. So hierarchy, I think we all be like, oh, hierarchy, people that are above. It's more of like, you could say like depth or intensity, mm -hmm. there's other ways of talking about it. Because that's the way Dionysius Areopagite talks about the nine ranks of angels. And that they're uh, ones that are closer to him or they minister in particular ways because they have particular jobs. Uh, there's thrones, dominions, powers, principalities, uh, cherubim, seraphim, etc. They all have their... Uh, arranged way of being and part of that is because that's just reality there's going to be a hierarchy there's older and there's younger right there's wiser and not so wise uh, those who are closer to God and those who are just a little bit further but the reality with God and all this is that God is present to all all the way down because he's accessible to everyone it's our relationship to him that brings us closer or further away Sorry. Wow. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's other clusters of icons around the uh, uh, nave that is considered part of the icon stasis, or are they their own thing? They're their own, they're, they're their own thing. And how would you refer to those groupings? Would you just say we've got icons on up on the wall? <laughs> 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 they are grouped in according to some are women saints, some are the saints of North America, and so forth. That has Every to do with just St. Anne's. That's not like a right. thing per se, but there is, you've already talked about kind of like a hierarchy in churches, like at the top, and then going down, yeah. Well, sort of. Sort of. Because <laughs> we don't have it here, it's hard. Right. Huh? Well, so in, in a typical Orthodox church, the Pantocrator, right, uh, the dome is Jesus around him, and correct me, because you probably are more on top of this than I am, because I have to think about this a little bit. You might have, you'll have the angels around him, and then you'll have somewhere, and it might be the apostles or the prophets will be the next ring, like going down from that dome. Uh, then when you get down to the pendentives, which are the four like corners that usually make up, those are the four gospel writers. You might have the 12 apostles might be around, so you kind of have this, even this hierarchy, angels, prophets, apostles, gospel writers, and then you move down to the nave, you might have scenes of Jesus' life, but then down at where like people can have access to it might be martyrs and individual saints. But you have a program even in a lot of churches, especially to, if it's a particular dedication to a feast, uh, that you might have the, or the process uh, of feasts that rhyme with that feast or like that feed into that feast that will be close by. Uh, so, for example, the cycle of nativity, theophany, uh, and then entrance of Jesus into the temple, those are all clustered, right, December, January, February. So you might have those clustered together. They're all feasts of the illumination and light. So they might be together and even iconographically put them together so they kind of flow together. Does that make sense? So there's like a theological, liturgical thing that's happening. Or you might have where you do baptisms, the theophany, 
fresco or icon might go over there because that's where baptisms happen. Sure. Thank you. That was really good. While you're yeah. answering questions. Yes. <laughs> are angels considered saints or do they serve a similar intercessory role? Do you want me to do it? Please. <laughs> so part of the problem with the word saint, such and such, what does saint mean? Holy. 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 Right? We don't, t so we say saint Michael the archangel. All we're saying is holy Michael. I think a lot of us have like saint is almost like a, right. like father or doctor or something. That's not, it is basically a, a, a title of who they are. So a monastic saint, we would say they're the venerable Job of Puchayev, right? Because he's a monastic saint, we say venerable. I don't know what the Greek or Slavonic is, but uh, but so when we're asking, uh, we have all have guardian angels that have been given to us. Uh, they pray for us, and we have prayers in the prayer book that we pray to the guardian angel to pray for us. So yeah, they can intercede and do stuff. There's uh, one of the, for Saint Michael. There is a, a feast day. I think it's in September where he d did a particular uh, miracle of diverting a river, uh, St. Michael's like miracle at Colossae. So there's a whole feast day dedicated to St. Michael coming in, uh, protecting his particular church. Does that help? So yeah, we ask yeah, angels for their intercessions. Okay, fine. You can be named after an angel. Like You can be called Seraphim, you can be called Michael, you can be called Raphael, you can be called, I'm trying to remember some of the other, there's some cooler names too that don't come up as much. <laughs> Okay. Ariel. <laughs> Thank you. Not Ariel. <laughs> Thank you very much. Good to theological. So this is a, one of the icons of the Nativity of Christ, and I wanted to go over just a little bit with you. Um, as you can see, the Mother of our Lord is there in the center on kind of a, a couch. Now, look behind her. What do you see? Jesus looks like a mummy in a tiny tomb. Exactly. <laughs> That's the answer. <laughs> See if I can get it. Does that help? Does that help? Yep. Okay. So Jesus in the swaddling clothes is wrapped up as if he were in his burial clothes. He's he's in a box that looks like a tomb. Exactly. All right. Um, I thought that was going to be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so he's also in a cave. And in the Holy Land, there people lived in caves. I mean, there was no no wood to make a house. So if you didn't make a house, you didn't make out of wood, you didn't make a stable out of wood. So that's where he was, in a cave. And Jonathan Pajot will talk about the hierarchy, about how up high is where Jesus is up high. You can see angels around. You can see the light of the Holy Spirit coming down into the area. And oftentimes in a lot of these I'll show you another one. Um, there's a sort of a dark area. It's called a mandorla. And this is a place of mystery. We don't really know what's happening. So that's what this cave represents as well. I mean, how did Jesus get born with Mary still remaining virgin? It's just his birth is a mystery. We, we recognize, we don't understand everything. You can see other things. You can see over here, like you typically would see in a picture of the nativity, some shepherds over on one side, you can see the three wise men over on the other side, and then you see some animals. Um, one is, a, I'll tell you, one is an ox and one is an ass. Now, those of you who know your Bible, which gospel does the, are the ox and the ass mentioned? They're not. <laughs> it comes from Isaiah. Um, the ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib. The ox was considered a clean animal, the donkey was considered an unclean animal. So here's a picture of the Jews and the Gentiles coming together to worship our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, Can I expand that? It's sure. more than just the Jews and the Gentiles. It's the fact that creation actually recognizes him while his people don't get him. Because that's what Isaiah 1 is all okay. about. It's like, uh, here's the word. <laughs> The donkey knows God. You guys don't. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Okay, so moving on, because there's a lot more I want to cover. Down in the corner, you see a woman, and she's bathing. Jesus Christ. Um, so he's actually appearing in this icon two times. Um, but I like it because it shows that there was a community. It wasn't just Mary out there all by herself. 
people came around them and it, there was a community involved. And over on the other corner is Joseph looking very, very sad. And an old man dressed like a shepherd is actually considered to be Satan tempting him. Well, you think about it. The tradition tells us that Joseph was a widower. He was an old man. Here was this young girl, Mary, an orphan. They, they cast lots in the temple and she went to be his betrothed because he needed a woman in her house to help take care of it. And that happened with my great grandparents as well. You know, just the community was gonna take care of the fence. Joseph, here's Joseph, he has traditional children already. And everybody's gonna say that, you know, you get what I'm saying? So here in this iPad. <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> And he's being tempted by Satan. So I think it's it's just an amazing teaching um, picture. Do you see what I'm saying? There's so much wrong. Yes, Frank. Just just to add to this last point that, that you made here, you look at where the Theotokos is looking in, in that icon. Who is she focusing on? And she's not focusing on her child, but she, she's looking down at Joseph. She's praying for Joseph uh, that, mm. that, that he, he won't be overcome by, by the wiles of the, of the devil. And um, I, I don't know if you can see on this one or not, if it, if it uh, some, sometimes the, the, the devil is depicted like with, with, uh, with the hairs of animals on his legs and, mm. and, uh, and, a, and a profile. You don't see his full face, but just uh, the profile like like a uh, like like other evil um, people are, are depicted, like Judas on an icon. Mm -hmm. so Thank there's you. A, a, there's a whole lot going on with this. There is a whole lot going on. Okay, go Can ahead. I explain a little? Yes. The other thing that's going on that's very important and uh, about this, a lot of it because we've been trained so much by museums when we encounter something that it's like something that you look at, uh, maybe appreciate. Uh, we're like, okay, I'm going to pray before this. This is also an extremely liturgical uh, item because all the hymnody of this feast is being captured. Mm -hmm. it's because the icon uh, is not a historical thing, right? Jesus appearing twice in an icon, right? right. Like he's not bilocating where he's in the, right? So what you're getting is you're getting, we understand the idea of icon in this way, right? Like there's an iconic thing being put before us that has many facets of the reality of the feast that is also as we are doing the royal hours for Christmas, as we're doing vigil for Christmas and singing uh, the hymnody, the hymns reflect all of these little spots in mm -hmm. the icon. Mm -hmm. So it's not just, this is the, the reality. You'll see churches that are not Orthodox will put icons up and there's like their art. This isn't just art, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is a theological statement. We are venerating the incarnation of Christ and all of the stuff that's going on. So there's space for doubt in the bottom left corner. There's a space for preparation or cleansing that needs to happen that even our Lord in coming down uh, into the world, you know, the community comes around him. The angels, the wise men, like all of these aspects of it. The other reality is this rhymes with a major feast. Were you going to go this direction about what this feast rhymes with? Mm, this is <laughs> this is a Paschal icon oh, too because what you get, he, why is he in swaddling clothes like he's in Right, his womb and tomb, right? He's being born, and he's also, as soon as he's born, right, we know, he knows where he's going. He's going to the tomb. So he's born into a tomb, right? The uh, reality of he's also, like, what does the resurrection icon look like where he's pulling Adam and Eve out? It well, looks like that cave. <laughs> They're going that way. They're going Great. that way. Okay. And also the tree. Also, you may have heard this in the, the Messiah. Oh, There's right. become a rod from the stem of Jesse and a branch to grow out of its roots. So we have the tree there too. Okay. So museum quality picture <laughs> of the nativity. Okay. And here you see, well, they got the ox and the ass. Um, but there's a totally different purpose here. The purpose here is to show the the command of, pers of, you know, vanishing point perspective of the painter's ability to show different textures. Um, and there's nobody there to help Mary and Joseph. Anyway, it's just a very, um, you see how it's just kind of stripped of the richness of it. 
It's okay. So I, we're we're running short of time. Here's the icon of the resurrection and crucifixion. Crucifixion. Excuse me. And, uh, the point. Two points I want to make. Three points I want to make is that Jesus is there, not in agony. His head is bowed. He has voluntarily given up his spirit. And it says in the the prayers of nothing. And when Jesus came and was given up, or rather gave himself up for the sake of the whole world. It was a voluntary. So we show him in totally in command, and yet they're on the cross. He is, has people around him, and down below, you see that skull. The tradition says that, the, that Golgotha was over the burial place of Adam, and that Jesus' blood dripped down onto Adam's skull. You know, provided you know him with healing. Here's um, a Western version of the crucifixion. You see the totally different purpose. This is to show agony and all the the, um, the pain and so forth. Whereas this is God's in control, so forth and so on. Any questions about crucifixion? Okay. Um, Can I uh, make one more point about the crucifixion? Yes. I also think that another again is it's liturgical, right? This mm -hmm. object is also when we get to Holy Week, who are we singing about? We're singing about the Mother of God right. standing because she be kind of becomes an icon for us. Uh, we sing about the uh, centurion Longinus who is there, who's going to declare, you know, this is truly is the Son of God. Uh, we this all works together liturgically it functions not just as a piece of art where you contemplate an idea but like it's brought out and it's actively working with the whole setting which i think is a major difference mm -hmm. often between yes thank western you for yes okay all right so we'll move on to and i'm sorry i didn't have the, <laughs> the best picture i could find was this from the cover of the book um, this very dramatic, can I get this? Very dramatic picture of Jesus. This is in a church in Constantinople. Was not they were restoring that section. I didn't have a chance to actually see it, but you can see that he is actually grabbing onto the wrists, and it's considered to be Adam on one side and Eve on the other side, pulling them out of Hades and everybody else who was there as well. There's over on the side, it's considered to be David and Solomon. And then there are some other um, shepherds, people looking on angels and so forth and so on and various treatments of it. But if you look down below, you can see lots of chains and screws and all sorts of stuff. Instruments, not only just of capture, but of torture. And those are broken and he's standing on the broken gates of hell. Is that also, do you know if, because some of these have, is that Satan bound and chained? I think the it is. The old man, or death? Yes. Yeah. You see, death is bound and chained. Can you, it's yeah. not yeah, yeah, I can see it. Okay, all right, and so, that's, yes? Is it the gates of hell or the gates of Hades? <laughs> you got no, me. I'm, no, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely asking. <laughs> <laughs> of the underworld. Of the of there you place go. Of the okay. There you the go. Place of the okay. Now, here's the Western view. <laughs> and you notice that uh, it's just the the women, the merbears, and the Roman soldiers. There's no re no reference to anything coming, you know, but anybody being pulled out of hell. That was just such a wonderful image to me, such a wonderful revelation, you know, as to how we think about his resurrection. You know, so um, okay. Well, this do a Europus, the Jewish I was, synagogue. Okay, I was going to bring in a picture of the um, of what we have on our wall, the the resurrection icon, just to show the difference. Uh, it's not quite as dramatic, and Jesus is not really grabbing onto both and so forth. It's a more subdued. It's, you can go take a look. It's over on the on the wall of above the, um, near the holy water fountain, so forth and so on. Questions about that? Okay. Um, Dura Europus, this was a better picture. I showed it the first time. This, this is a, um, a building that was discovered just about 100 years ago. Um, and 
it had been piled up with sand. It was way, way, way east of Jerusalem, and there was a there was a church they decided was they're building Christian church. There was a building they decided was a Jewish synagogue, and both were covered with paintings from biblical scenes. Both the synagogue and the church. This was like from about 200 B A.D. And um, it was preserved because the city was under siege, so they just filled all the buildings up with sand with, to try to you know, strengthen the walls and so forth. But this is preserved. And here's a picture of one of the paintings. In there. I think it's of um, the Pharaoh's army trying to uh, you know, recapture the Israelites after they, did, they had... Um, you know, come out of Egypt. You can see soldiers and fish down there in the bottom, and then over in this side, everything is just tumbled and topsy turvy. Anyway, just to show that that there are some people who say we have we can't have any graven images, but that that's a different topics that that the, the Israelites had images in the temple. They had them in this in their sanctuary. But the graven images referred to idols, and we are talking about holy things and holy stories. So we can have images. All right, now I just want to finish up, if it's all right with you, um, so to keep you. Questions here. Yes. So I know that the icons have a spiritual significance supported by the resurrection of Christ. Yes. Um, so were the images in the Jewish synagogues just educational only, or did they also have? I mean, the Old Testament itself commands images, right? What is on the Ark of the Covenant? It's uh, two cherubim. What is sewn into the curtains of the, the veil? Yeah, also cherubim. Right? So the idea, I think what a lot of us got as Protestants is like extreme iconoclasm. Mm -hmm. But the reality is scripture itself says, God says, build <laughs> angels and put them on the Ark of the Covenant. Like put images of angels throughout the the temple, so I, I think the reality is uh, a lot of us grew up with like no images whatsoever except for a, like a river over the in the baptistry or something, <laughs> <laughs> maybe a deer or something. But uh, the reality I think what Lynn is trying to drive at is the idea of iconoclasm really only came later. There was certain pushes against it. And you can find this in strands in the church. They were argued about this. This wasn't like it just came out of nowhere. Uh, but it really came strong. Why the crisis of iconoclasm is because of Islam, mm -hmm. which is extremely, as you all know, iconoclastic. Because their idea of God is very different. Because, and it's not that theologically the resurrection supports icons. It's that the incarnation mm -hmm. supports. Because God became flesh. That we saw him. That, we could, that apostles touched him. That they ate with him. So that's why. So, uh, before the incarnation, I mean, the the, Jew, the images in the Jewish synagogues were they did they also have a deep religious significance too, like in a similar well, way that it's just. It got in w what way do you mean? Like, as in, like, did they venerate stuff? Is that yeah. what you mean? I don't recall veneration the same way that we do in like kissing an icon. But the fact that it was present, incense, the, the way in which they treated that space, uh, that God appeared between the two angels and he had said, build these two angels, I think mm -hmm. on some level, yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. Okay. So we can depict God because he had a face, right? Okay, well, I just want to make, make the point that we made before is that there's... Uh, there's worship of God and there's honor that we give to the saints and the holy people. And that we're very clear that worship is only for the Lord Jesus Christ, for God, for the Trinity. And that the honor which is paid to the image, that these images that we've shown you, the ones that, that you see, it passes on to that which the image represents. And he who reveres the image reveres it in the subject represented. So we, when we revere these objects, we are honoring them. Okay. Um, so it also talks about, you know, this indicates their presence with us. I hope we've cleared that up as far as the difference between worship and, and honor and so forth. 
And I just want to finish up with a, two little points, if that's all right, about wonder-working icons. And um, this is an icon that was found in Russia after the fall of communism. They found a great many icons in sheds used as stair treads. I mean, I'm talking about sheds. I'm talking like... Cow sheds. Cow sheds, yes. Not wood sheds, but cow sheds and so forth. And they were dirty and they were, you know, smudged and so forth. And this this particular icon of the Theotokos is in a church that's not far from St. Seraphim's resting place right now. Way, way, way in the, in the sort of in the middle of Russia. And when they found this icon, it was totally... You could see nothing but dirt, and nothing but cloud, you know, cloudy. And they brought it out and brought her into the church. And as time has gone on, the image has reappeared. I mean, these, these icons, they're living, okay? And they want to be seen. They want to show us who they are. And then one more thing is that this is an icon, I'm sorry I don't have a bigger picture, I should have photographed it, but this is an icon of St. Anne, a Merstring Ming icon that actually visited St. Anne about eight years ago, nine years ago, because my grandson was born eight years ago, <laughs> and his parents came and prayed before this icon, and she's known to be, you know, the giver of children, and, and um, so, it's housed know, at Saint Tikhon's of the monastery. Monastery. And that, we're, that this church is named after? Yes. Pardon? It's the Saint our Saint Anne. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's right. And some people have given, um, <coughs> you know, as gifts, they've given this um, metal crown, Riza. Riza, <coughs> and also something on her hands because when people would venerate her it would wear away at the paint. So that's one reason why some icons have those metal covers. Yes? I have a, a question. Where, is there anywhere that you guys would suggest um, for someone looking to get their first icon or an icon? Well, now that you mention it, <laughs> we are hoping to have in early December um, a time where where we will be, there, there have been some donations to the building fund, and there will be some icons for sale at that, at that time. Uh -huh. um, there's been a donation of a lot of paint, uh, drawings from Jonathan Peugeot that will be for sale. So that would be one place. Ancient Faith um, Ministries, just, just go to ancientfaith.com. Uh -huh. They have they have icons. I don't. Oh, it's time. We need to. Yes. So, if you want to know a place to get it, email me. That would be the best way. So, anyway. I can tell you some places as well. Oh, you can talk to Rita Gregory. We need okay. to come to a close because we're sorry. ten minutes over. And I hope that you don't mind my. It's okay. We're going to end with prayer. Lord, now let us, thy servant, depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen the salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to enlighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Okay. This is a really cool book about the discovery of icons in Russia.